0: Listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey, 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 Rockstar SLPs, this is Felice Clark, the Dabbling Speechy, and we are here on the Real Talk SLP podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about three myths of push-in therapy. Now, before I get started on these myths, I just wanted to let you know that if you are enjoying this podcast, please leave a review um, to let me know what you're enjoying. Uh, You can always reach out to me on social media, on my Facebook page or Instagram at the Dabbling Speechy to let me know what topics you would like, what guests you would like me to have on the show. I love to hear what you need because I know you are in the trenches trying to serve your students well and we need practical... therapy ideas and strategies so that we're serving our students well, right? And we don't got time for all the fluff, <laughs> but we also want to hear from people too that are going to be real with us about what's going on in the field. So that's what I'm striving to do for you is give you encouragement and the best tools and therapy ideas to help you feel confident doing your job in the school-based uh, setting or in the private practice setting. So let's dive in and talk about three myths of push in therapy. So you might be thinking, you know, you might be in one of three camps. You might be thinking, what in the world is push in therapy? Or everyone keeps talking about this push in therapy, but I have no idea what it is. So I will tell you what it is today. <laughs> uh, you might also be in the camp where you're like, I will never do push-in. It is not my style. I do not want to do push-in therapy. It is ineffective. You know, the list goes on. You don't like it, right? (laughs) Or you might be in the third camp where I'm at, and that is you know about push-in therapy. You love doing push-in therapy for your caseload, and you wish everybody was on board with push-in therapy, right? So Wherever you're at, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little myth busting here today to talk about how to think about push in therapy and approach it for your caseload. And hopefully by the end of this episode, you're either going to be like, okay, I can get on board with this. Or you might still be like, okay, I, I like some things Felice is talking about. Maybe I'll try one of them. And that would be a-okay with me. So first off, myth number one. Pull out therapy is bad, and I must do push in therapy because that's what everyone's doing, right? I saw this uh, someone post in a Facebook group that she felt guilty that she was doing pull out therapy and wanted to find out how everybody else was doing push in therapy so that she could start doing it. And I thought it was really interesting because. The thing that I think we all need to, and I even had to, as I was doing push-in therapy, the only reason why I really call it push-in therapy is because it's just easy for us to reference and understand. It's kind of like that common phrase, same with pull-out therapy. But really what push-in therapy really should look like is it's a collaborative service model. And under that collaborative service model are different types of approaches and ways to serve students. And one of the things that is really important to think about is that when we do a collaborative service model, it it not only can be beneficial for just our students in general, but it is individualized. we are able to be flexible and change up how we're servicing a student based on their needs. So in a way, it's very um, legally defensible because you're able to provide what the student needs. And I think so often, first off, before I get into the whole myth about pull-in therapy is bad, but I think so often that we just put on our IEPs, oh, 30 minutes a week, uh, oh, no, oh, thir- twice a week for 30 minutes. You know, we just get into that pattern of thinking, well, we just have to up the service then more pull out or less pull out or, oh, they're starting to make progress. Let's put them once a month now. Um, instead of taking a step back and critically thinking about what is going to help support our students. And I, I remember when I first started my first four years, I mean, that's kind of what I did you know, I, I would assess and figure out, okay, it seems like they need this much service, you know, and, and if you're newer in the field, it's it's easy to do because we, we have giant caseloads. A lot of us, I mean, it's a rare thing, unfortunately, to have a small caseload. <laughs> and by small, I mean, like 30 kids on your caseload. Uh, the smallest I've ever had was 50 kids on my caseload. And what we really need to remember is that Collaborative services is an umbrella of services and pull out services is under that umbrella. There is pull out, there is coaching, consultation, and then there's co-teaching. And even within co-teaching, there is different ways of implementing that when you're doing co-teaching in the classroom. So I have definitely moved away from thinking of pushing as me going into the classroom and doing a lesson to this collaborative service umbrella. And if you want to read more about the different types of services, I have a blog post and I will put it in the show notes for you so that it can help you see what you can do. And so for me personally, when it comes to choosing a pullout service model, I have to look at the, the child's needs and pulling it. Kids out to do individualized therapy can be very, very effective, right? Pull out therapy is not something that we're just going to throw away and say, "Oh, nope, all I do is push in." Now, um, it is a it, it's a great model, and we have to look at our students, you know, diagnoses, their needs. What, the, what their goals are. And, and for example, a good example is a lot of our speech sound disorder students, they need to be pulled out of the classroom. We need to give them explicit <laughs> instruction and individualized time to show them how to produce their sounds, to implement that therapy. So we are the experts in that. And I would even say like speech fluency, speech disorders like stuttering and cluttering, those can be, you know, those may need to be pulled out as too, not only because of the skills we have to teach them, but because pointing things out in a classroom may not be good for that student. And so even when we're pulling kids out for social therapy, social pragmatic therapy or language therapy, pull out is not necessarily a bad way to go it's when you're not looking to see okay this kid is not generalizing their skills or hey i needed some really specific time with them to teach them some um role-playing and vocabulary. I needed to pull them out. And now we're in a place where I want them them to start practicing their social pragmatic goals in a more naturalistic setting. And so at that point, you may be doing a pull-out model with some teacher consultation. And maybe your schedule just does not allow for you to go into the classroom and co-teach. I know for myself, one of the biggest roadblocks with co-teaching in a gen ed classroom is that I just don't have time. I have some kids who are in, you know, they're all in second grade. I can pull them from their classrooms in a 30 minute session. But if I was to go co-teach for each of those kids, I'd have to go into three different classrooms. And so, that, you know, if, it, if it's not conducive for you, one thing you can still do with a collaborative ser- service is you can pull out that student but also write in the accommodations of the IEP that you will consult with the teacher because you want to know what themes they're working on in the classroom, what, what text structures are they targeting, what grammar are they doing for the month, you know, what vocab- tier two vocabulary they're doing in the classroom, so that you can then use the same methods or similar books to target your students' goals in particular, especially for language therapy, a lot of our, you know, if they have a language impairment, they need 36 engagements with a word before they really know it. And so if you're just pulling random words from books or from activities, it's not that it's necessarily going to be bad therapy. It's just that if we can do a consult model and a pullout model, we can find out what, what words the student needs in the classroom, or we can find out, oh, they really are struggling with following directions in the classroom and really looking at the the, the words and basic concepts you're going to target that would help them in the classroom setting. So pull-out therapy is not a bad model and you should not throw it out, but <laughs> you can flip the switch there and say, hmm, maybe there's another element of collaborative services that I could be accessing with my students that I haven't really done. And if we can do that, we in the long run are going to be able to get these kids to access the general education curriculum better and more efficiently. And, and you, and you'll, you may even lessen your lesson planning time because you'll have the manual for the language arts curriculum or something, and you could just use that. So, you know, it's just one thing to think about and, and we all have our own styles. So if you feel the most comfortable with pullout therapy, Just remember that maybe a coaching and consultative model could be another little supplementary add-on that you could start trying to do this coming year, right? Let's talk about myth number two. I do push-in therapy. I go in and do a rotation during the students' morning rotation centers, and I plan my own lesson, and the kids rotate to me. Or I go and pull the kids to the back of the room, and I do my own lesson. And first off, before I go into this myth, I want you to know that this is not a bad way to approach therapy. Um, it is something that I've done in the past and something that I continue to do. So I'm not saying that this is not a bad way to go. But I will argue that that is not necessarily truly a co-teach or classroom Uh, I don't want to say classroom-based service, but it's not a true co-teaching model. Because in order for it to be a true co-teaching model, you and the staff have to have collaborated on the service, on the lesson, um, defining roles on who's going to teach what and who's going to do what. And it's going to be a very cohesive type of, lesson where you guys are working together. When I envision someone going into the classroom and doing a rotation, if they have not aligned their activities with the teacher and and some sort of collaboration hasn't really happened and everyone's kind of doing their own thing, I look at that as small group therapy in a classroom. And one of the benefits of doing that is you've eliminated transitions to go to the speech room. So you save time, you get more therapy done, and you help a student who may struggle with transitioning to a new environment. So those are really great positives. But if you are not collaborating with the staff and integrating, you know, the lesson, you may still just be doing a pullout model in the classroom. So if you want to know more about how to do a co-teach uh, therapy session, a push-in co-teach therapy session, I have some blog posts on how I set up my push-in lessons and, and how I use the staff to help implement that. So when you go back to the blog post about collaborative services there's a little section about how you can co-teach with teachers. And so there is methods for like a one teach and one float. There is also co-teaching where, you know, both of you are teaching the same lesson. Only one is teaching with less scaffolding and the other maybe has more visual supports and choices. So you're basically teaching the same lesson but one is giving more visual support or more, you know, or breaking the story down even more or or providing a more adapted um, story. And and a good example of a curriculum that would do this, that would allow you to do this pretty easily is the unique curriculum. Um, They have definitely different levels of the books that they read and the different activities. So essentially you could, you know, one your teacher could do – the the kids who need less supports. And then you are doing the kids that maybe need core boards and, and different choices. And you would be teaching that lesson at, at your table. Or maybe you've consulted with the teacher and you know that they're going to be doing a writing activity and you are going to take a group of kids that maybe are struggling while she's teaching or he is teaching the whole class. So you have collaborated a little bit about what you're going to do when you go into the therapy room so or into the classroom so that you guys are aligned a little bit with what the student has to do. Um, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Let me know if you have any questions about that. And I will Definitely do a future episode about how to set up push-in therapy, um, and I I think push-in collaborative services can be really tricky because there is not a solid manual on how to do it, and there is a lot of different ways to do it correctly and do it to do it successfully, and 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 that is I think something that can make you feel empowered or make you feel completely lost depending on your personality and style. All right. Let's talk about myth number three. When I go into the classroom and do a lesson, there isn't enough opportunities for each child to get enough practice on their goals. Right. Have you heard that? Have you thought that? Um, I would agree with that to a point I think it really comes down to how you're structuring the learning environment and utilizing the staff and and really thinking through how you're approaching your whole class instruction. So when I do push-in therapy for my mild mod and moderate to severe self-contained classrooms, I set it up differently because I would agree It is going to be hard to get enough opportunities and keep everyone engaged because some of our students struggle with focus and attention, or it's hard to hit everybody's goals when you're having everyone at the carpet. So what I do is I saw that roadblock, right? I saw that roadblock, and I got around it, I got around it by going, you know what, I'm going to utilize my teachers and the staff and have them run stations as well and give them roles for when I'm at the carpet for how they can help support the students in the group. And so if you are just going into the classroom and standing in front of them and teaching, that could be all fine and good. It can go really well. It just depends on the ages and the needs of the whole class lesson. Um, I have done whole class lessons for some of my upper elementary and middle school students who have social pragmatic goals, and I'm effectively able to run a whole class lesson and, and just make sure I know which students are my IEP kids and making sure that they get those opportunities and the other kids get to participate too. But I know who I'm really in there for. Um, but like I said, my mild mod and mod severe classrooms, especially, um, in order to get those meaningful and increased opportunities, I have found the most success from going in for 30 to 60 minutes a week. Like depend, you can either set it up for 30 minutes a week or 60 minutes a week. Um, and doing a carpet lesson where we do a book, we maybe even do some smart board activities. And then we break up into session or stations. We break up into stations and I implement either the teacher running a station or the teacher is a floater. And then I have two aides running a station and I run a station. And typically when I'm running a station, I'm always going to have the more complex goals that I know I want my kids to target Um, because I know my goals that I need to take data on. I know what the kids need to work on. And then with the help of the teacher, I either plan – those, like we either plan the activities out together and they help prep them, or I just kind of get it all taken care of because I'm just thankful they'll let me in the classroom (laughs) and it's my gift to them. So at the other stations, um, I might have the teacher doing a really, you know, easy sequencing activity that goes with the book. So if we're doing, we're going on a bear hunt, they are going to do sequencing with some picture cards for retelling the story. And then for the aides, I'm going to give them the craft station or a sensory bin station. And I'm going to give them a little cheat sheet that says like, this is the things you're going to work on. We can work on initiating. We can work on, you know, whatever the goals are, I can give them those tasks of doing that. Um, maybe it's playing bingo or doing a paper bag puppet craft. Bec- and I know that when I'm giving them that easy, you know, quote unquote, easier activity, I know my kids are still going to get practice with requesting with talking about the puppet, um, even after the station that it's okay if it's not being, you know, I don't want to say perfectly run, but if you're still coaching the the teacher aides on how to do wait time and how to, you know, expand what the student's saying, we're still giving the child an opportunity to be practicing something from the themed lesson, right? So if they're doing a craft for we're going on a bear hunt and they're making the map for going on a bear hunt They're still getting to see and feel all the elements of the story and and, and they're getting to request things that they need. So that is a great way to set up and make sure that when you're in there for 30 minutes or 60 minutes, you are maximizing those opportunities because you're still providing a small group environment. Um, You're also implementing a coaching model because the teachers are watching you when you're at the carpet doing whole class and they get to see you in action. And you also get to see what it's like to be up in front of the classroom um, trying to keep all the friends <laughs> engaged. And after you do it a couple times, you start to go, okay, these teachers have a, they have a hard job, right? All right. So if you are loving all this information about how to do co-teaching and push in therapy, but you're still like, please, I don't know what it looks like. I need some ideas. I want to let you know about the virtual speech retreat that is happening on July 17th. This is an opportunity to get your clinical maintenance hours over the summer. You get six clinical maintenance hours and this whole event is virtual. We always have uh, new speakers. There's eight amazing speakers this session and one of the sessions is going to be on push-in therapy for moderate to severe self-contained classrooms that I will be uh, sharing how to set this up and give you practical therapy ideas for actual, you know, lesson plans. Um, I, I'm going to be giving information for how to just set this up in your preschool classrooms, elementary, and even give some examples for middle school and high school. So this would be more like your life skills classrooms. So if you are wanting more training in this area, I highly recommend grabbing a ticket by June 7th, because one of the perks of attending a virtual speech retreat is you get some goodies. We want to make you feel like the rock star SLP that you are. So if you grab an early bird ticket by June 7th, you get a swag box delivered to your door the week leading up to the speech retreat. And let me just say, guys, our swag boxes (laughs) They deliver. We should probably win the uh, best swag box of a professional development conference because like last March, the one in March, we had these super comfy Lovely looking, just really fun speech socks that I think a bunch of SLPs said their husbands tried to take the socks from them. Um, we They got this super awesome water bottle. We got a dice and some pens. I mean, it's just like you feel, you just feel good getting the the. Box delivered. You're like, yes. Because not only, you know, like not only do you get this swag box, you also get six clinical maintenance hours. We give you $40 worth of digital therapy materials that align with what we're talking about during our retreat. And we invite new speakers that want to give you, they know you're in the trenches. They want to give you practical therapy ideas that you can use Monday morning. So if you have been wanting a professional development that's going to help you get recharged, give you the tools you need to support your students and celebrate and pamper yourself, then you need to get a ticket. I will put a link in the show notes, but you can also head to speechretreat.com and grab your ticket, tell your SLP bestie to get a ticket. So then you can meet up at their pool and have lunch delivered while you watch and learn. Doesn't that sound good, right? <laughs> Anyways, so for more information about the speech retreat, head to the speech or hit the link in my show notes and grab your ticket. So let me know if you have any more questions about Pushing therapy and how you could do it for the upcoming school year. I would love to talk about this in future episodes. Um, different questions you might have. I have some guests that I'm planning to have come on to talk about how they're doing pushing therapy. So please feel free to you know send in questions um, because it, it helps us to know what to talk about and and how to answer some of the things that you could some of the roadblocks you're facing out in the field. So. So, all right, guys, so the three myths of push-in therapy, pull-out therapy, number one, or, all right, so to recap this episode, the three myths of push-in therapy is, myth number one, pull-out therapy is bad, that's not true, it's not true, guys, (laughs) myth number two, um, push-in therapy is when I pull kids to the back of the room and do my lesson, It's a good step in the direction of push-in, but you're so close. You're so close to co-teaching. All right. And myth number three, push-in therapy does not provide enough opportunities for students to work on their goals. Remember, it's about restructuring the setup to get those increased meaningful opportunities. You can do it. All right. Take care. I will talk to you all next week. Remember, be the SLP that every kid wants to see, and I will see you all next week.